0: Hello, everybody. Here we are again for another episode
1: of Film Shots. Film Shots, y'all.
0: So uh, we are in our regular studio here today. Yeah, yeah. It is
1: a beautiful studio. I really love the color on the walls. It's a deep uh, purplish. makes me think of a Milky Way candy bar almost. It is quite nice. Yeah, it? it's very nice. So deep. So resonant. I'm
0: Joel Marshall, and this is Dr. Jesse Rines. Hi, right, what's up? And we're here. It's the... Um, it's the holidays. So, we want to wish everybody a
1: happy holiday out there, whatever That's holiday right. you might
0: celebrate. Happy
1: Christmas, Hana Kwanzaa. Exactly. <laughs> Here in,
0: in um, Hollywood, during the holidays, uh, people tend to kind of leave town.
1: That's my yeah. experience. Yeah, they do. I remember they used to do that in New York too, and I was always glad when they did. Um, because it's so quiet in New York. Um, and, then, and now that the transit strike is open, congratulations. To the transit workers in New York, I think it was a courageous thing they did. I'm sorry to uh, inconvenience people, but we are having a mess with labor relations in this country. And I personally support unions, and I think that we, I'd I'd like to see them um, um, fortified significantly.
0: All right, and also I want to give a shout out to uh, some teachers today, because I think that uh, teachers need to be acknowledged. And uh, there are three teachers in particular who emailed us um, about film shots. One is uh, Greg Werdela. He's up in Seattle. He says he's got some young filmmakers in his class. Hopefully, they'll be tuning into the podcast. Another is Marty Weatherby, who's out in Japan. He's a teacher there, and he says that they use podcasts for teaching. Um, And then Jeff Lohman in Kuwait has a class called... They call themselves The Sheep. So we want to give a shout-out to them, too. Sheep. The Sheep. Uh, One of the things that Jesse and I were talking about earlier today and we want to talk about on the show (laughs) is the idea of film criticism. Um, We, On the show, we talk about films and we want to continue to talk about the most current films and we are looking for exactly our place in that because we are filmmakers and we're talking about people who are making films and we want to encourage film making as much as possible. Right uh... without any kind of a uh... negative spin on it i guess when i think of criticism i start to think oh you know we're gonna have to say this movie sucks because of this and that and i i don't really like doing that in particular
1: yeah i think um of criticism as both giving good qualities and bad qualities Um it's 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 really an evaluation of the film now if you look at um film criticism um, as film critics do in the newspapers and things like that, basically their job is to tell the popular audience whether or not this is a film that they should go and see. Would the, would this be a film that would be enjoyed by the general public? Um, for me, you know, like I used to be an, an academic, so I don't approach it quite that way. I really, I, I guess what I what what I would do is would be more film analysis. It's actually film industry analysis and seeing the way films operate within our social and political environments. Um, So it's not really specifically a a film, a criticism of a particular film. It's looking at that film and the context in which it is created and shown.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think that uh also, the thing that we want to do is look at films for what we think works uh, as far as film technique, oh, yeah. uh, what someone else might want to use in their own films, what we might want to use when we go to make a film, um, that kind of thing we can say, you know, talk about certain sequences, things mm-hmm. that we really uh, enjoy, things that right. we feel like didn't work uh, for whatever reason, just in a practical way. Right. Because I, I think that that's one of the things that this uh, podcast is striving to provide, is practical. Uh, tips for the filmmaker who is uh, you know, just starting out saying I want to make a film. How do I go about doing that? What are the pitfalls?
1: Right, absolutely. Now we started this discussion because I came in and suggested that um, uh, Joel and I create something called kind of instant critique or instant review where we can go out and see a film and then do a kind of a review of it immediately. Um, and I'd like to know what people think of that. If you can email us and tell us whether or not that would be something that's valuable, I would like um, to, to know because it's it seems from most of the emails that we're getting that you know we have a lot of people who are pretty technical, especially people who are computer savvy. Um, in fact, podcasts. When I tell my friends about them, I have to explain what a podcast is and reference iPod and things like that. And when we started, actually, Joel had to explain all of that to me. He's the technical person on this side. Um, so um, I'd like for people to tell me, do, do you want to hear us give um, um, breakdown? not breakdowns of film, but critiques of, of films? Is that something that, that seems important to you?
0: Also, people can email us what they think about films that they see, or films that maybe, Absolutely. especially obscure films that we might not see, the general public might not see. Tell us what's out there that's really good. Also, films that are on the Internet. I know there are a lot of different ways that you can watch films on the Internet, and we like mm-hmm. to see the really good ones. Um, our email address is filmshots at com, And uh, I just also want to thank Patrick Thomas who uh, gave us some very constructive c- criticism he's been listening to every show this show is just starting out it's only a month and a half old and um, we're looking at the new year and what we're gonna provide in the new year right and I think we're gonna have some really interesting interviews and some uh, also we're gonna try and provide a, a kind of a step-by-step way to make a film that's well we're, we're thinking
1: about. about that I don't know that, that might be too much work man you know I got a <laughs> a very broad palette um, for for next year, and <laughs> I'm right. going to have to see whether that, that's going to work.
0: All right, cool. All right, so one of the things that we're going to start out with just in that kind of vein is to look at what the different software is that's available out there for film editing. And uh, I'm going to speak to this a little bit, and we're going to also ask for your feedback to find out, you know, what kind of editors you're using. I'm sure there are some out there that um, are lower priced. Uh, right now we're going to look at the ones that are mainly used in the film industry uh, here in Hollywood.
1: Yeah, and I um, officially label this section of today's show Joel's Film Tech Hour.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is Joel's <laughs> Film Tech Hour. It's hardly an hour, but we'll, we'll try and squeeze in an hour in this t- amount of time. Um, <clears throat> there are various types of what they call non-linear editors. Now, a non-linear editor uh, is a piece of software that allows you to edit video, mainly a digital video, uh, well, particularly digital video, in a way where you can pull uh, frames at any time from the entire amount
1: of film that you've captured. Um, but I think the important thing there is that you can do it instantly. You don't instantly. have to scroll through the entire roll of film in order to get to what you want, like you had to do, for instance, if, if you shoot on videotape. Mm-hmm. You have to keep on rolling back and forth. But this is like a, a CD or um, a record where you can go to the location instantly. Directly. Right.
0: right. Right. So That's, the, so basically you're not dealing with the time of rewinding the tape or right. fast-forwarding the tape. Or if, you were, if you're dealing with film, the way they cut film by hand is to go through reels and reels, reels right. of film and find the, the frame and cut it on a little frame cutter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have to do that nowadays as far as uh, if you're using a, a digital video editor. And you can just pull things right away. You can put in the time code and it'll go right to it. Right. Now, time code is another thing that I just want to speak to. Uh, when you input something into your computer, it has a certain time code that comes with it. It's recorded on the tape. The time code tells you where you are. Right now, even the camera that we are recording on is telling us a time code. It tells us how many minutes and how many seconds and how many frames uh, per second. They're different. The, the types of video editing that you do, the types of video, uh, video Camera work that you you use different frame rates. Uh, they're usually 24 frames per second, which is what film is, or they're 29.97, which is really 30 frames per second, which is generally what digital video is. And there are a couple of there are a lot of different variations Absolutely. on that. But generally, we stay between 30 and 24. There's also something called PAL. Right, which is uh, European if you're using yeah European cameras, they're often twenty five frames per second, but generally you're talking about either twenty four or thirty. And there are cameras that can do variable frame rates, different different frame rates. Usually, if you're using a digital video camera, which I, I know a lot of you are using and we have used it ourselves, you're talking about twenty nine point nine seven something to be aware of when you input your footage into your computer. So, Different non-linear editors are, there's Adobe Premiere, which is done by a company called Adobe that also owns another company called Macromedia now. They just tied in with that. They just bought them. So they do Adobe Photoshop also. They have something called Adobe After Effects. They have a lot of different software that is all integrated to work together. That's why Adobe Premiere is a good non-linear editor, especially if you have... A PC uh, as opposed to an Apple computer because it's a very viable solution and it's got a lot of products that work with it which I think is very important if you mm-hmm. have products that work with it so that you can do your sound you can even make a DVD using all the same kind of software right. You'll run into less problems that way um, I don't know as many people who use Adobe Premiere just because the main ones that are used in this town seem to be avid which Avid software is something they've been using for a long time, or Apple's Final Cut Pro. There is a, an ongoing war right now between Avid and Final Cut Pro, as I mm. see it, trying to figure out who's going to be the king mm. of video editing. Uh, right now, it's, it's, Avid has, is this, this, the one that's been here for the longest. Most of the big movie studios use it. People are used to it. They're a little bit different to use, mainly because of the shortcuts that are involved. Uh, when you edit something, you get really used to these keyboard shortcuts that you use, and so you, you want to stick with the same software because you're just, your hands are pre-programmed to say, when I want to do a certain thing, I know exactly what keystrokes to hit. And the really good editors, they use a lot of keystrokes rather than using their mouse all the time. So a lot of times they're a little bit reticent about moving, changing right. to a new software. But a lot of them are changing over to this Apple Final Cut Pro. And it's because, for one thing, it traditionally is cheaper. And for another thing, I find, if you get an Apple computer and then you use a product that Apple makes, everything is all together in one so that if you have any kind of a problem, you just go to the same source. You go to Apple and you say, okay, I'm having this problem. And usually, you know, you can with your computer, you can have uh, some kind of Apple Care, uh, basically technical support that you can go to, and I just find it's a lot easier. And it's frankly, the computers seem to be a lot cooler, hmm. which is I the think Apple people computers. like that, just the aesthetic of them. Yeah, you know, because mm-hmm. in the artists community, in the film community, people are really est- aesthetically minded yeah. and just even the what the box looks like mm-hmm. has a lot to do with what you're going to go with. Plus, you don't have to deal with different components in the computer competing which is the best one, which one should I use,
1: and all that kind of thing. But tell me, Joe, um, isn't Apple significantly more expensive solution than, than a PC environment?
0: I don't find that to be true. And I find that Apple computers are pretty comparable. Yeah, they do have really fast computers, so generally they're going to be more expensive than something you're going to use on a day-to-day basis to write letters and things like that, write emails. But once you get into the video editing aspect okay. of it, I think that you can get a really good product for um, a pretty comparable price, whether mm-hmm. you go Apple or PC. Now, I usually go Apple, but you know, I know a lot of people that use PCs and they they're just as fast and they're just as good. It's really just whatever you're used to. Mm-hmm. And whatever you find works for you. So, I'm not one of these people that says one is better than the other necessarily. Mm-hmm. I just think whatever you're used to and whatever works for you. It seems like the trend right now seems to be, people are trying to use Final Cut Pro to do big feature films, even um, Mm -hmm. like Cold Mountain was done on Final Cut Pro, but that's Mm -hmm. happening slowly as we go along. And a lot of people, just because they have Apple computers, are using Final Cut Pro to edit features, independent features.
1: Now, can you do that in a PC
0: environment? You can do, absolutely, you can do that in a PC environment, um, using... Premiere, Avid, there's a thing called Sony Vegas. Which oh, so is also you don't have another... Final
1: Cut Pro that you can load onto a PC? Oh, you can't use that on a PC. Exactly. Ah, okay. exactly. So
0: okay. that is something to consider too, because a lot of times you'll move a project from your computer, say to another person's computer, say like last week we talked to Johnny Wilson and he did sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does sound for <coughs> films. So when we want to move a project from our computer over to Johnny's computer you kind of want them to be compatible okay i see and because he has an apple computer it makes it a lot easier he said that he uses a pc also but not for the editing part of it really so that's something wow. to consider the people you're working with there mm-hmm. are ways to convert things but you're, all, you're it's a lot easier if you kind of stay in the same stay yeah, on the absolutely same platform I can see that. And I'd like to hear also, we always want to hear from listeners, their experiences. Maybe somebody out there says, you know, it's not that hard to move from one platform to the other. That might be very true. Um, so the other thing to consider is um, screenwriting software, since we're talking about software. there A lot of people, I find, will use something like Microsoft Word to do a screenplay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they use it kind of like a typewriter, right? which is the way a lot of people did it in the past. I, frankly, I don't know how people did that in the past, (laughs) wrote scripts on a typewriter, because you go through and you change things, and you have to go through and rewrite the entire thing. Now, did you write your book on a word processor? Yeah, I've um,
1: um, I've done all of my, let me see, the first thing I really did on a computer was when I was working at IBM, um I was still in grad school I was um, and I was writing my master's thesis and um, I started writing it on a typewriter mm-hmm. on an IBM Selectric and then I started working with IBM and display writer computers had just come out and um, they were brand new and I was trained as the um the word processing expert mm-hmm. for the office, and the way I trained myself was writing my thesis. So I put my thesis on, there and I wrote it in the office, the whole thing, right on that computer, and I loved it.
0: Wow. Um,
1: so it was, it was really, it was really good. And when I first started, well, actually, my first screenplays were were handwritten, um, and um, because I used to write on planes and in restaurants and things like that a lot. But then once I got a computer, I started writing them on computer, in, in Word Perfect, and then in Word, and um, you know you can create macros. I like the macros in Word Perfect, um, so that so I macros
0: can, are, are it's basically little programs within Word that do certain things. Like right, you can click on a macro and it'll it'll format something the way you want it. Yeah, it just makes it a lot easier. You have the the name that goes before the line when somebody says, like, Jesse says this, it'll say Mm -hmm. Jesse, and then be colon, and then then it'll have text as what Jesse says. So you can write these little macros Mm -hmm. that'll make that text that says Jesse be centered in the page and put a colon after it, Right. and then
1: the next Mm -hmm. text will be not that way. Now, Um, my last two screenplays I wrote in um, Final Draft. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, that worked. I mean, basically, it's um, it's pretty sophisticated macros, I guess, that are, that are already embedded in the um, software.
0: So that that is a good that's a good software that I find uh, works really well. Is something called Final Draft. People in the industry mm-hmm. seem to have Final Draft. Right. So when you send them your Final Draft project, your your script, they can read it easily because mm-hmm. they have the software. There seem to be. I think there are two programs that are pretty big in this one's called Movie Magic Screenwriter yeah. mm-hmm. and the other is called Final Draft. I find Final Draft to be a little bit more prevalent in the industry. I've never
1: used uh, Movie Magic and I don't really know it um, I've had Final Draft for you know um, about five years five or six years um, but um, I haven't written a screenplay in about three years so um, um, I, I think I'll do the version the screen version of my new book, on um, on that the new my new book the name of my new book is Love Evolution. Love Evolution. That's right. It's my first fiction piece, um, and um, I just finished it. An agent has it. She doesn't know if she wants to do it yet. She liked the first part she read, so maybe. So Sounds we'll see. Sounds
0: good. Sounds good. So the the thing about Final Draft is it's got different macros, like he says, built into the the program just for screenwriting. Uh, There are various ones. There's one for general headings, scene headings, action, character, parentheticals, Mm -hmm. which parentheticals are like when it says Jesse, and then there's a parenthetical saying yawning or something that he's Mm -hmm. doing and then you know, it has the text and then it says what Jesse said. So the parenthetical basically gives you some kind of idea what the character's doing or some right. action that's being mm-hmm. performed
1: while he's saying his line. Yeah, and since they are standards, you can create your own, but they are standards within the industry to come already in the package. And it does make everything faster and it makes it all look better. And some of that tedious stuff that you have to do, like what do you have to do? You have to put continued on the top of the page and continued on the bottom of the page. That's stuff I never did. Um, so this does it for you.
0: I highly recommend if you're just starting out to write a screenplay that you look at some screenplays. Because uh, oh, you want to see how they're formatted. Yeah. Because it's a very particular yeah. thing in the industry. And somebody when somebody reads your screenplay, say you want to send it to somebody and want them to buy your screenplay, you want it to look exactly in the format that those things are presented.
1: It almost has to be. I um, was a, a reader for New Line and for this um, thing at 20th Century Fox for a while. And, you know, like I'd get, you know, like sometimes 15, 16 scripts a day um, to read. And as soon as I see one that's in the wrong format, it goes in the circular file. You throw it away. Because if a person doesn't have enough respect for the industry and for my time, not to learn how to do screenwriting, I know they're going to be a big hassle later. It's going to be some kind of a prima donna or something like that. So, I want to read something that's already in the proper format. you got to do your research. If these are not plays, remember that a screenplay is not a stage play and the format is different. It's not a television play, so you really have to um, learn um, the format that is um, particular to your industry. These 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 are like film bikes we're giving you right now in the right. middle of the program. I'd have
0: to recommend also the book <laughs> Story by Robert McKee. This is yeah, mm-hmm. this is one of those books that you should take a look at. You don't have to do what he he says necessarily, and he says that in the book, I believe. But it's it's a good good idea to check it out because he t- this guy takes all different screenplays that he thinks are great, Mm -hmm. and then tries to consolidate it into a writing technique.
1: Right. Sid Field also, Sid Field has a book called The Screenplay, and I used to use that when I taught um, um, screenwriting um, as part of another one of my film classes. So that's a good one, too.
0: So that can be very useful. Um, We'd like to talk more and more about things that, you can do to help you make films and I think that we're moving in that direction um, today we don't have any health food unless you have something to
1: add. No, I, I, I don't I did I, well no I can tell you about this later it's just that I I forgot to bring it for you I went to I, I happened into and uh, a film screening um, for some folks doing yoga and um, it's in Santa Monica And it was a little party. They had music. Um, There was also some smoke coming out of the back room where the musicians were warming up. Um, I did not go in there because I don't inhale. Um, (laughs) But um, so it was a real party. But the food, I, I, I tasted one of the cookies and said, oh, this is horrible. They were all over the place. Nobody was eating them. Well, it turned out that they got all the food from um, a bakery that doesn't use sugar. So it was all healthy and you know nutritious food and I'm sorry, that bakery is going to have to throw all of it away because nobody was eating it. <laughs> I, I brought a piece for you, the chocolate over oh, really? what looked like some rough bread and I forgot it.
0: Oh no. Sorry.
1: So I I, I still have oh, it for you.
0: The one other thing that I've been wanting to mention for a couple of weeks here, is this new Panasonic camera that's coming out. Now, this is kind of a higher-end camera. I think they're pretty much aiming it at independent filmmakers because independent filmmakers... I find that... I've made a couple of digital video films, and I find that when they're put up on the big screen, like when we were at Tribeca and was put up on the big screen, I don't feel like the resolution is what I want it to be. Mm -hmm. And so I'm looking more and more into this uh, high-definition...
1: Uh, video, which... Now, is is resolution based upon the number of chips in the camera? the number of pixels that it'll capture.
0: Now, I don't want to get too technical on this because, uh, for one thing, I don't feel like I can speak to it properly. I do. We do want to have a guest on here that's probably a, a DP, uh, so somebody who, who does cinematography, pretty yeah. much the person who handles all of the images that are coming right. into the camera, handles, they, they oversee the lighting, They oversee what's going on with the camera. Um, Director of photography, they can be called, or they can be called the cinematographer. Mm -hmm. And that would be a person that I would feel like I would want to get on our show to speak to the idea. Like you said, there's different chips. Like, we have a camera that I use. Um, It's the one that we're recording into right now. It's basically, it's a Sony. It's a a handy cam, tiny camera that I've Mm -hmm. taken all over the world doing video and it's a one chip camera mm-hmm. and th- that means that there's basically one chip in there i can't speak much more to that it just you don't get as much of a color yeah. depth to it it's not as high quality as it could be in the, in a digital video camera the other option is to get a three chip
1: yeah three chip is what i have three heard chip about. is
0: a, is more uh, more of a quality camera they're higher priced you can get them as low as I think six hundred dollars. I think right. JVC makes one, or somebody if makes one. If people
1: have recommendations for cameras, or if there's anyone who like to discuss this on on the show, we'd really appreciate it. Yeah, that would um, be great. Yeah, and if you know, like, we'd like to have someone from Panasonic come um, com, um, come in. So, Joel. So Panasonic is has this new that. camera that's called the HVX two
0: hundred, and it is trying to bring HD cameras to the independent world. At a an affordable price, it's it's six thousand dollars for the camera, which might seem like a lot. It seems like a lot to me. Yeah, um, but it's not a lot when you're talking about a camera. Normally, to get a camera of this quality, you would have to pay a heck of a lot more.
1: But the other thing is, um, if you're an emerging filmmaker, you don't really want to buy this camera necessarily that's anyway. A, that's a good point. What you really want to do is learn how to use it and then rent this camera. Mm-hmm. Because um, unless you're doing regular shooting every day, I mean... It's not going to be worth it. Yeah, it's not going or to be worth it. Or unless you're renting it out, which right. is another you way Right. That's go. one thing that you can do. You can rent out the... If you want to become a DP for hire, and I've known people who who who've done that. I've shot with a lot of people who were just cameramen, you know. Well, that's what a DP does, you know. Like you get hired and you bring your equipment along, um, and that's one of the real attractions um, that you have your equipment already and you can you already have a camera crew. That you great can bring to along. hire somebody that Absolutely. has that stuff already, Absolutely. and you know they know
0: how to use it. Because right. who wants to rent a camera, put it in the hands of somebody who says, "Yeah, I can right. do it." Right? Yeah, I can do it. It's and Then you like, find out, like when. I was acting in a TV show, and they said, can you ride a horse? And I'm like, oh, yeah, of course I can ride a horse. And then, you know, you get on the set, and it's, it's it the horse doesn't have a saddle and this and that, you know. And I'm sure that happens for a cameraman, too. They end up in that Absolutely. same kind of thing. And uh, so you don't want your cameraman trying to figure out how the menus work on the camera and things while you're, you're supposed to be shooting because right. you end up losing time. Or you might end up, God forbid, you might end up with at the end of the day with stuff that you can't use.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and that's real easy. You know, it's yeah. really. I mean, I remember really just easy. when we was started out with this camera. You know, like we were recording it, and we lost our whole first recording <laughs> because we didn't push one switch. Yeah, exactly. You know, no,
0: I, I think I'll take credit for that. <laughs> then, but so I just want to continue one a little bit more on this Panasonic camera. The cool thing about it is, for one thing, it shoots true HD, which most of the people that were working with cameras of this price were shooting HDV, HDV, which is not as good quality as HD. It's nowhere near as good as HD. This is true HD. Um, and it also, the neat thing about it is, it has these things called P2 cartridges that go in into it. And you don't have to use any kind of tape to Capture Ah, the footage. Mm -hmm. So when you get it, it's just completely on basically like a hard drive. drive, It's like like a hard drive. It's a flash drive that you can put into your computer and it goes directly into your computer, and you're not dealing with any tapes at all. They do have a tape on it, and you can uh, record to the tape or you can even transfer to the tape, which uh, can be very useful too. But mainly, you're dealing with just these flash drives like you do in your your digital camera. Mm You know, just mm-hmm. a still camera. A lot of people have those things. They're they're moving towards this with the video camera. The problem is, HD uncompressed, they call it, is so incredibly large a file that they have to make these flash storage devices very large in order. Mm-hmm. And so they're just starting to get large enough that you can actually use them for video footage.
1: This technology is amazing. I'll tell you that. And it's really. Coming, I like to see it moving along. Coming
0: along. Yeah. Yeah. And also, there are a lot of people out there doing podcasts on video, too, which Mm -hmm. we may move into, we may not. I'm looking for... As far as this goes, I think it's something that you can listen to in the car or something you can listen Mm -hmm. to while you're on the treadmill or something, get a little bit of information. Of course, if you guys want to see our... Faces, (laughs) faces. <laughs> or right now you can you go some, online. Or some video demonstrations of some things about uh, us eating raw food, you can certainly oh, yeah. email us. Yeah. And you know, we're going to be eating a
1: lot of raw food, y'all. I'm telling you. Uh, I mean, you guys realize we know nothing about raw food. <laughs> I mean, we only do this because we're ignorant. And we're trying to um, to, to cover that, that ignorance a little bit. So... Um, that's another thing that I'd like to know. How, what do you think about this raw food section of, of this? I mean, are we, do we have a raw food audience out there? Is our um, audience so fully into film that they don't want to hear anything about raw food? Yes, we think the raw food section is insane, just like most of you probably do, but we don't know what to do with it. It's a curiosity. And we have found some connections unexpected. So tell us about what, what you think about that. The whole raw Help food thing. Help us investigate thing. the yeah. raw food. Element. I mean, we're trying to be less ignorant. And what we've thought about doing, in fact, is moving away from raw food at some point and having something else that we know nothing about. Uh, maybe whale hunting. Right. Right.
0: So something that we're tell us something that it does, that we about. probably
1: don't know anything about. And um, we'd like to just investigate, and we'll go out and investigate it and its relationship to the film world. All right, so that's
0: filmshots at gmail.com. Film and now it's time for the, our film bite, and uh, then we'll move on to our whatever celebrations we might be having. My film bite today is, oh and for those of you who don't know what a film bite is, it's a little piece of information that might help you in your filmmaking. Uh, and we try to give them at the end of the show. My film bite for today is watch as many movies as possible, especially foreign films. A lot of us don't get a chance to watch foreign films. You might find some really interesting things. Uh, this is actually a, a recommendation that I got from one of our our listeners, Patrick Thomas. Uh, he, was, he threw in the old foreign film thing, and I think that that is very important. And his point was, that with foreign films, you, you are going to see some of the, the things that people do in foreign films in films that are made in the United States. You'll see people copying it, but you might as well see it when it first happens before it's been copied a million times. And I say don't be afraid to try and copy some kind of technique that you see. You're not going to do the exact same thing that somebody did before. There is nothing wrong with stealing a few ideas from other films. It's not really stealing. It's, that's what art is all about. Interpreting things in your own way, and then Dr. Jesse Ryan, do you have your film bite?
1: You know, I had it, um, but now it's kind of um walked away from me. Um, I can kind of see it running down the street oh, I see right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do have a film bite, and it has to do with um, script writing. Um, But I can't remember what it was now. Okay, I'm going to write these down for next time. I will owe you one.
0: You owe us one.
1: Okay, I'll owe you a film bite. All right,
0: great. So that is Film Shots for today. That's it, y'all. And we appreciate you listening, and please give us a shout at thefilmshots at gmail.com.
1: Happy Holidays! Happy Holidays.